Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. Tonight is Tuesday, March 9th, 2010. We're sure glad to have you here with us. This is a first. This is a futureofeducation.com and Merlot webinar. And our guest tonight is Bernard Robin on digital, digital storytelling. And welcome, Bernard. Hi, Steve. How are you? Well, I'm, gl I'm good. And thanks. There's a slight delay because Bernard's on the telephone bridge. So uh, it may take him a second or two to respond. But you are coming through loud and clear. My co-host tonight is Kathy Swift from Merlot. Kathy, do you want to say hi and tell us a little bit about your goals here? Um, certainly, Steve. Uh, as Steve said, I'm Kathy Swift. I'm the Director for Academic Partner Services for Merlot. And um, I work with the editorial boards. And Steve had been at our conference last year and viewed some of the presentations from our award winners. Um, each year, our editorial boards select one resource that they think is just an exemplary learning material, and it gets the Classics Award. And in this case, our uh, faculty development editorial board selected uh, Bernard's site, um, The Educational Uses of Digital Storytelling, and Ray Purdom, who is the editor of that board, is also on tonight. I'm glad to see him here. So. Um, we're really looking forward to Bernard's presentation. Um, as I said, he did present this at our conference last year and got me very excited about digital storytelling. And I hope uh, the same thing happens to you. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks for pulling this together. I'm very excited. Ray, thanks for being here as well. So I want to give you a short introduction to the futureofeducation.com series. The series is sponsored by Illuminate. Illuminate is my daytime employer. And I work on the LearnCentral.org social network for educators. I would encourage you to come see the fun things we're doing. It's a free network for educators, and it lets you use portions of Illuminate for free. And hopefully, you'll find some good value there in connecting with other educators. Coming up on the conversations.net and futureofeducation.com interview series tomorrow night, Jim Jemmel, I hope I'm saying that right, and Gordon Bell on their fascinating book, Total Recall. The subtitle of the book is not in front of me, but it's, it's What Happens to Our Culture and Society When We Record Everything. Also tomorrow night, PBS, uh, PBS Classroom 2.0 special on copyright criminals. On Thursday, I'll be talking to Sharon Peters on Teachers Without Borders, talking about her work in Africa and the students' uh, collaborative work with Africa. March 16th, we kick off the open source series with uh, the T plus L, teacher, the TLN network uh, from the National School Board. March 16th, PBS Women of Science. And then you can see some other fun things coming up. Of course, we're all excited about Sir Ken Robinson on the 30th. But lots of fun ahead, and hope you'll continue to join us. Uh, if you've missed a session and you are, are willing to listen to recordings, there are some really good ones. Last week, Susan Patrick, before that, Henry Louis Gates Jr. on his PBS show, Dan Pink on Drive, Clay Shirky there, James Paul G., Tara Hunt, lots of fun folks. Uh, lots of listening. If you've got to uh, commute somewhere and you're interested in education, we hope you'll go to futureofeducation.com and pick up the podcast feed. If this is your first time at Illuminate, this is an interactive environment. And so we hope that you will participate. There are a couple of ways to do so. You, you'll notice that you are in a participant window and your name is there. Um, at the bottom of that window are some little emoticons. There's a smiley face, 
a clapping hand, a confused face, and a thumbs down. These are ways that you can indicate uh, how you're feeling about something. If you want some more immediate participation, you can actually click on the hand with the green up arrow to raise your hand. I think tonight's uh, session will be relatively informal. So if a question comes up that you would like to ask by the microphone, you can raise your hand. Otherwise, just put a note in the chat window. That's where that send message arrow is. At the, at the bottom of that chat area where you're seeing the chat taking place, you can actually type a message in. You can send messages to other individual participants using the drop-down box, but do be aware that Bernard, Kathy, and I actually see all of those messages. Now, to the right on the whiteboard, I'm going to give you whiteboard permissions. You're going to see some icons now to the left of your whiteboard. And let's have you tell us where you're listening from. So look for the little wand with the red star at the end to the left of the whiteboard, click on that, and then click on the map. And you'll see I placed myself in the Sacramento area. And Lima, Peru, welcome. Feel free to shout out in the chat as well where you're listening from. Your weather is interesting. It's sometimes fun to hear that. Florida, Houston, DC. Looks like someone in Canada. New York, West Virginia. Well, wherever you're listening from, we're really delighted to have you here. Looks like maybe Portugal or Spain. Pamplona, Spain, welcome. We are really glad to have you here. And I'm going to move on from this map. And I'm going to turn things over to Bernard. Bernard, feel free to give whatever introduction you would like to yourself. We do have the web tour up now, so we'll let you move around. And Kathy and I will capture questions and maybe ask a few of our own as we go through. And then at the moment you feel ready, we can start a formal Q&A. OK, sounds great. Well, thanks very much for having me. I certainly appreciate the, uh, the honor uh, and the challenge of trying to do something that's pretty high tech. Uh, from the study in my home. I'm actually outside of Houston, Texas in a suburb uh, called Richmond. And um, I am working from home today, so I uh, am trying this over my home computer. And uh, talking on the telephone seems to work best, so hopefully everybody will be able to hear me. Um, let me just start off by telling you a little bit about myself. I uh, was formerly um, a medical photographer and videographer at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine. And I did that for a number of years before going to graduate school. And uh, after I finished graduate school at the University of Virginia, I got my master's degree and doctoral degree in instructional technology. I came to the University of Houston. That was my first and so far only faculty uh, job. And um, I've been here since 1993. And because of my background in medical photography and filmmaking and video, I was very interested in trying to integrate digital cameras and video cameras and that technology into my instruction when I started teaching courses in the College of Education at the University of Houston, which is where I've been uh, for the last 17 years or so. And so it turns out that uh, we were looking for ways to, to try and get students were to take digital camera pictures and shoot videos and, and do something educationally meaningful with them. And I kind of stumbled upon digital storytelling as a way to use the 
media that my students were producing. And I found out that there was an organization in Berkeley, California called the Center for Digital Storytelling, and they'd been doing this for a number of years. I, I guess I really started digital storytelling in the late uh, 1990s and uh, early 2000. And so before we even knew what we were, that there was an, an organized name for what we were doing, we were putting these digital camera images together in slideshows and adding text. And then the whole field of digital storytelling sort of emerged and mushroomed over the last several years. And I was fortunate enough to, to just find a, a niche uh, because the Center for Digital Storytelling was focusing primarily on going out into the community and training people to, to create digital stories about events in their lives and challenges, different things that uh, were happening, accomplishments, and all kinds of personal things. Uh, the niche that we found was trying to take that idea and move it into the classroom and get teachers and their students to get involved with uh, digital storytelling. And that's, uh, I started a website several years ago, probably five or six years ago now, called The Educational Uses of Digital Storytelling. And primarily, I began that site just as a showcase uh, to document and, and distribute stories, digital stories that my students and I had created, mostly them. And uh, it got to be very popular. And one thing that I'm quite uh, proud about is that if you um, want to find our website, the best way to do it, you don't need to really remember the URL that Steve just typed in uh, in the chat window. You really need to just go to Google or Yahoo or Bing or your favorite search engine and type in the term digital storytelling. And we consistently show up toward the top. Uh, it's called the educational uses of digital storytelling. And if you care to write down the, the web address, it's digitalstorytelling.coe. That's collegeofeducation.uh for the University of Houston.edu. Uh, but the, the Google way seems to work uh, pretty well. So there are many definitions of digital storytelling, but they all sort of revolve around the same idea, and that is telling stories with some mixture of digital resources, and that could include graphics, text, recorded audio, narration, music, uh, and in some cases video clips. Now when we first started doing, doing digital storytelling, we primarily we're using just still images. And there are a number of, of very easy to use computer programs, one I'm going to talk about in a few minutes, uh, that, that let people create digital stories quite easily using uh, still images. But nowadays, people are really interested in video, and camcorders are getting much cheaper. They're getting easier to use. Uh, even some cell phones shoot video these days, and high definition video is, is an option with with still digital cameras that people buy these days. So we're trying to move more toward incorporating the use of full motion video clips within digital stories. But when my students and I look at digital storytelling, some people feel that the use of video detracts from the, the story or the message in the story, and that it becomes a little bit too high tech. Um, it's un it's, I, I'm, since I'm not certain how many people who are watching tonight are actually classroom teachers, um, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about my experience of working with classroom teachers uh, and their students. And this may be 
might be uh, fairly obvious to those of you who are in the classroom. But uh, what I have found is that with middle school and high school students and undergraduate and graduate students even at the university where I teach, uh, most of the students are much more interested in the digital part of digital storytelling than they are in the storytelling part. And what I try to emphasize to them is that if you have a good story to tell, that the technology and the digital part can be used to enhance that story. But if you don't have a good story and you're really good with the technology, you're not going to have very much that's interesting to look at or share with other people. And certainly you're not going to have anything that, that is educationally useful. So our focus is on the story first and on the digital second. And that's worked out pretty well. Um, the, uh, the thing about digital stories is that they, they usually are just a few minutes long. They usually uh, revolve around a specific theme. They have a particular point of view that comes out in the narration and the text. And uh, they can be on a variety of different content areas. Uh, and we're going to look at some of the different ways. But um, before I, I go too far, I, I want to say in answer to the question that some of you might have, well, why did you gravitate toward digital storytelling instead of something else? Well, I was really interested in having students be able to use these digital media tools as a method of communication and personal reflection. And I, I just thought that digital storytelling was a great vehicle for being able to integrate multimedia into K-12 education, into undergraduate education, and even into uh, graduate and adult education. So it, it worked out really well uh, as a way for, for students to learn to use digital tools and be able to have a, a nice meaningful project uh, that they develop themselves. So one other thing that the Center for Digital Storytelling in, in California has done is they put together something called the seven elements of digital storytelling. And if you go to our website, which should be on the screen, uh, and you go down to the menu that says Essentials, you'll see that there's an area there called the seven elements of digital storytelling. And there's a link to the Center for Digital Storytelling in California. And the seven elements talk about all the parts of the story that are meaningful and uh, the point of view, the dramatic question, emotional content, the uh, pacing and economy and soundtrack. And I thought, well, this is really good for, uh, for regular viewers and regu a regular audience, people out in the community that the CDS works with. But for a classroom uh, experience, I added a few more like good grammar and language usage and quality images and tried to make it of more interest uh, to students and teachers, or especially to teachers who could help their students use uh, digital storytelling. And I see that Steve has put up a link to the seven elements there in the chat window if you want to click on that. Um, the, as I said, we focus on uh, writing a script. And I also I am a big admirer of the Center for Digital Storytelling. And some of you may have heard of uh, Joe Lambert is the director of that center. And I've taken some training with him, and I'm a big fan. And he showed me something that he does in his workshops that I've adopted that works out really well. And that's called uh, the – and there I see the Center for Digital Storytelling website has just come up. So you can take – it's a really nice website to explore, and there's a lot of good information on there and stories that you can watch. Um, 
Anyway, what they do is they do something called story circles, and I've adopted this with my own students, and it works out really well. Where um, let's say I have 20 students in a class, I'll split them up into five groups of four each, roughly, and have them read to each other in their small group the draft version of their script. And then they get peer feedback from the other members of the group. And I walk around the room and I act as a facilitator for a few minutes and I kind of give pointers here and there. But mostly I let them do the talking. And the peer feedback experience is one that works really, really well. And students, uh, I think, like it when they get feedback from their peers rather than just from me as the instructor in the course. So uh, I'm a big admirer of story circles. And something magical happens uh, when you do this. And, um, and, and people just get really excited. And it's kind of a, a very worthwhile experience. And I, I suggest that you try it if, if you haven't before and you come, uh, if you're in the, uh, have occasion to do that with a group of students. And it works well with, with younger kids. It works well with adults. And uh, I think you'll be surprised at how, how good it works. Um, after that, uh, students tend to get excited and they'll rewrite the, uh, the second version of their script. And they'll also get feedback from me. And once they get the script in pretty uh, good order, then they can start putting together the images. And we use a variety of methods. We use digital cameras to take pictures. We use scanners to scan images from newspapers, magazines, books, wherever. And we also allow students to download images from the web. And once they do all that, then they can sit down at the computer because they've got an idea. They have a good script. They have the basis for the story. And they can start putting it together. Now, I, I noticed that somebody in the chat window asked about storyboarding. And yes, we do, um, we do focus a lot on storyboarding. And there is a storyboarding tutorial on, or information about storyboarding under the Create menu on our website. And I'll click on that now. And you can see there's information about storyboarding. And there are uh, links to storyboard templates that can be used. And um, I think that's a really good process. Now, I have the luxury when I teach digital storytelling of being able to go an entire semester. And I know that not every K-12 teacher can do that, so they have to accelerate the process sometime. But even if it's a rough storyboard where students just get the idea of how to present their ideas on paper uh, in even a very rough format, just boxes handwritten with a pencil or a pen, or they can use the computer. Uh, they can use Word. They can use Excel. They can, there are specialized soft storyboarding software applications. Celtix, C-E-L-T-X is one that I like a lot. And um, anyway, storyboarding can be a really helpful uh, component to the digital storytelling process. So once all that's done, then um, we get to actually do creating the digital story. And I had talked about um, the Center for Digital Storytelling doing their emphasis being mostly on uh, personal narratives. And I let my students do that. The second type of digital story that we use uh, is the retelling of historical events. And that could be anywhere from uh, the, uh, the World War II is a great example. We've done a, an interesting digital storytelling project on World War II, and so have some of my colleagues at other universities. 
Uh, and these allow students to research material on the web or in the library. Uh, it facilitates research. And, uh, and what I try to get them to do is go beyond just putting together an electronic or a digital report that would be what they would read on the web. Um, I try to get them to, to add a personal perspective and talk about uh, how they are affected by what happened. And so for example, in our World War II project, we had students interview members of their family or people who lived in their neighborhoods who had remembered World War II or had possibly served in the war. Um, I actually did a digital story that I'm quite proud of of my father who was a navigator and bombardier during World War II. He served in the Pacific. And unfortunately, he passed away. So when I was working on this project, I wasn't able to interview him. But I found out that there was a, a gentleman living in California who was 85 years old who was a pilot on one of the airplanes that my dad had flown on. And I went to California and I interviewed him and we scanned some of his old photographs and I put together just a wonderful visual story about my dad and about him and about my relationship. Uh, and what I did was I learned all about World War II in the Pacific and places that I had heard the names but didn't really know where they were or what happened there. And now uh, I uh, am a big history buff and a World War II buff and I can't get enough of it. So uh, this one idea of creating a digital story has made me a, a big history fan and particularly uh, a World War II buff. And, uh, I think this is kind of the same type of experience that some of my students have had, had, and I think uh, younger students especially can find some when they can find some connection to what they're being asked to learn about and personalize it by interviewing someone or writing a story about it. Uh, it, it that learning becomes amplified and is even better. So um, the third type of digital story that we also use in our courses is the story that informs or instructs or presents content area information. And the term digital story isn't really accurate to describe some of the stories that my or projects that my students have created about math and science and uh, and but we don't have a better term. So the term I think we're kind of stuck with digital storytelling and every, uh, people are really starting to to become aware of that term, so we're kind of sticking with it because we can't think of anything that uh, should take its place. But anyway, the idea is that the digital story can be used to deliver instructional content on a variety of topics, uh, including uh, math and science and language. And I even uh, have some students who teach in the Texas Medical Center, uh, and so I've had several physicians who have learned to create digital stories uh, for their patients, for patient education, and some for uh, medical school uh, training and uh, for interns and residents. And uh, it's just a really phenomenal tool that allows people to, to do some really creative and wonderful things. And I see that uh, we've gone to the examples page. If you look at the pull-down menu under the examples section on the Educational Uses of Digital Storytelling website, you'll see that we are have grouped a number of student digital stories by different category. And there are Math and uh, there's not a science section yet. We don't have too many uh, digital stories on science, but we are working on them, and we're adding. We're hoping to add some new content areas uh, later this year, and so that 
menu should expand, and there will be some additional uh, stories there as well. Um, in any case, um, speaking of these categories and how students and faculty members uh, can use digital storytelling, I do something that I think is pretty interesting um, with other faculty members in my College of Education. And I teach a linked course, uh, which is where students will sign up for two graduate courses that meet on the same, on the same day. And the first half of class is with one of my colleagues. And the one that we've done five times now is um, in social studies education. Uh, my colleague Cameron White teaches a course called Popular Culture in America. And what students in there do is they research and develop lesson plans. And uh, thank you for bringing up the pop culture uh, page. Uh, they research these various uh, pop culture topics. And then they develop curricular materials and design a teaching activity around this pop culture topic. And they simultaneously are enrolled in a course that I teach called Educational Uses of Digital Storytelling. So um, they learn to create stories, digital stories, on these pop culture topics. And if you look at this webpage, you'll see that there's one called The American Dream, which is about the great Gatsby and, uh, and how that was part of the, that portrayed the American Dream uh, at an earlier time in United States history. And the, the person, the student who created this is an English teacher, and he got his students to write up uh, their little pieces of scripts about their version of the American Dream. And then there's one on print media. And there's one on the wall of hate, the wall that separates uh, Israel and Palestine, uh, Hollywood, Edward R. Murrow, the reality of TV, Vietnam, the legacy was about uh, the Challenger explosion. And there just are a number of really interesting uh, stories that these students create. And the link courses have been super popular. And they've been so popular that I've uh, been asked by other faculty members to teach link courses with them. So last year I did a linked pair uh, with another faculty member who teaches a course on children's literature. And then those students also enrolled in my digital storytelling course. And instead of doing pop culture topics, they did research and wrote scripts and created visual stories about various children's literature topics. So we had uh, a really great one on pop-up books, and we had another one on um, how monsters are, are portrayed in children's literature, and uh, one on uh, series books. And so the, the list just goes on and on. So I think that the, the takeaway from this is if you can um, partner with other teachers or with other uh, faculty members if you're in an institution of higher education where you can integrate uh, digital storytelling with other content areas, then that amplifies the experience and makes it better uh, for both of us. And as far as teaching with another faculty member, that also has really been a wonderful experience because it challenges, challenges us both as professors to do an even better job than we might do when uh, we don't have a colleague sitting in the room watching. So uh, that's been a, a really interesting experience as well. Um, I should also mention that, um, that we uh, have on the website 
an evaluation section, and you've got under there a link to rubrics and also one called alignment to standards. And under rubrics, I'll click on that, you'll see that there are a number of links on this page that um, show some rubrics, and I'm going to click on one that says a rubric Bernard. for graduate students just to give you an idea. This is yeah. Steve. I need you to click the tour guide button up at the top. Do you see at the top of the web tour okay, window, you should see a little it. button that says Tour Guide to the far right? Um, I have follow. Yes, there we go. I'm That's sorry. okay, because I want people to see where you're going. Okay. I've been clicking uh, without wanting to interrupt you, but I think if you're going to click on oh, some specific things, I want to make sure that we follow you. Okay, so now I'm gonna. I've clicked on the tour guide, and you should be able to see what I see. Um, what I did is I went under the evaluate menu to where it says rubrics, and we're looking at the rubrics page. And uh, many people are probably familiar with Rubistar, which is a website that allows you to create uh, rubrics. And there are a number of uh, rubrics for digital storytelling that are listed on this page and described. And then underneath, uh, about halfway down, it says a rubric for graduate students. And the, the rubric that I use to assess the digital storytelling projects that my students create uh, are shown here. I think um, it's coming up as a separate uh, web page. So I'm not sure if you can see that or not. But anyway, um, what it has is um, seven items that we look at that look at the purpose of the project, the script and to make sure that the script is well written and that it maintains a clear focus throughout from beginning to end, that the audio narration is of high quality and uh, can be clearly heard, that the project includes clear and well-focused, well-exposed images, uh, that it uses a variety of different kinds of images, and also we include image editing in that course. As I said, we can go the entire semester, so we have a lot of time to devote on all the various pieces of the digital storytelling process. And um, so that's one of the components that we look at. The choice of software programs we use to create uh, the project is appropriate. We look at that. And then uh, that the content itself is appropriate for the topic. And I also, uh, as I mentioned, the students in these courses uh, create a teaching scenario for how they would use digital storytelling in the classroom. Uh, and not all of my students are K-12 teachers or um, higher ed faculty members or wanting to be higher ed faculty members, but many of them are. And so even the ones that aren't involved directly in classroom instruction uh, have to design some type of instructional component, whether it's a, uh, an adult learning group or uh, an after-school club or whatever it happens to be. But uh, also because my students generally work in small groups, uh, then usually there are at least one or two teachers in that group, and that helps them put together the various uh, teaching activities that we require. Um, the uh, next thing I want to talk about is the uh, software that we use. And I'm a big fan of uh, a program from Microsoft called Photo Story. And if you um, Go to our website, and hopefully you can see this. And you look under software, and you go down to um, to video. 
Um, the reason it's here, this has caused a little bit of confusion, but uh, because PhotoStory does not actually allow you to use video clips, but it creates a video file when you're finished. And um, it's a free uh, download from Microsoft, and you can click on the link underneath where it says Windows version only available. Only available. That's a link to the Microsoft website, and that will take you to a page where you can freely download um, the um, the program. And it's available. It, it's available for Windows only, but it works on all the Windows operating systems. It works on Windows XP, Windows Vista, and now the new uh, Windows 7. And for people who are Mac users. Uh, we recommend iMovie, and there are multiple versions of iMovie that come with uh, the different versions of the, the Macintosh operating system, and they update that periodically. And it does many of the same things. But PhotoStory for Windows users is really one of the simplest and also one of the easiest, uh, uh, most powerful programs, easy and powerful uh, programs I've found for doing visual storytelling. And the fact that it's free, and most of my students have Windows-based computers uh, makes it really uh, quite a good choice for us. And I'm going to click on that um, photo story uh, link, and you'll see on the page that there are a number of um, tutorials there that are available to show you how photo story works. And there are lots of uh, other materials online. Uh, there are videos that walk you through the process, but really in about 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, you can figure out how to use this program, and you can do some very powerful things. And it allows you to plug in a microphone, either a standard microphone that plugs into the sound card with a little mini plug, or a USB microphone. It works with both of those, and it allows you to bring in images, add text, add music. Uh, you can add your own music, or you can even uh, it has a computer-generated music uh, option, so you can pick the different style of music you want, and it will create. Uh, music for you, and it allows you to uh, have transitions and special effects to the images. And when you're all done, you it uh, you save your project, and then final the final output is WMV uh, WMV file, Windows Media Video, that then can be played back in Windows Movie Maker. And so many of our students who are just starting out with using uh, digital storytelling um, use PhotoStory because it's a very low threshold kind of computer program that is very easy to use, and um, and it uh, can give you very successful results in a short period of time. So if you're uh, thinking of doing a digital storytelling web uh, workshop and you only have a few hours, then PhotoStory is a very good uh, choice for that. I noticed that on the uh, chat window that people are talking about, um, well, let me just respond to this first this last question first. Is there a problem with photo story in Windows seven? I have not found one. Um, I have uh, talked to people at Microsoft about it, and they said that they had anticipated a problem, but I haven't seen any problem. I've seen people talk about problems when Windows seven first came out in photo story, but it works fine for me on I've tried it on three different computers running Windows seven. And I have not had a problem with it at all. It, it, it works just fine, and I didn't have to do anything special. 
Um, so I don't think there are any problems that I've been able to find. But I noticed that there are a lot of people talking about Web 2.0 applications like VoiceThread and SlideCast and SlideShare and those things. And those are all really wonderful programs. And um, there are some that are particularly good for Web 2.0 for uh, digital storytelling. So um, the one thing that I would recommend that you do if you haven't looked at this already is go to the Web 2.0 link on our website and click on where it says More Web 2.0 Resources. And the very first one at the top of that page is 50 Web 2.0 Ways to Tell a Story. And there's a guy named Alan Levine who put this website together. And it's really, really good. And he has changed it now to 50 plus Web 2.0 tools because I think he's way past 50 now. But he actually lists, not just lists all of the 50 programs, Web 2.0 applications that can be used to tell a story, but he actually created a story about this dog that he found and, um, in Australia. And he created a story with all of these programs so you can see how it's done uh, and, and what the results would be like. So that's a really helpful uh, website, web resource for you if you're interested in Web 2.0 tools for digital storytelling. And we have a lot. Um, more material to add to the website in this area. And um, I've got a group of students working this semester on conducting uh, research on the web and trying to find out all kinds of the, the latest information and the latest tools that people are using for digital storytelling. And that information will be added to the website uh, in the, over the next few months. So. Um, what, what I probably didn't say, but I really want to go back a second and talk about, um, and, th and that is that digital storytelling, in my experience, has been a, a very effective tool for teachers uh, because it's a way for them to put together a digital story fairly easily and present it to their class as a way to, um, to present new information or facilitate in-class discussion. But it's also an even better, in my opinion, effective learning tool for students uh, so that when students are allowed to create their own digital stories, they really um, that's when the process comes alive. And what it's particularly good at is this whole idea of 21st century skills that allow students to uh, conduct research and learn to write and learn to organize their thoughts and uh, present their material to, a, to an audience and possibly conduct interviews. We also, in our digital storytelling courses, we have a segment that we include on how to conduct an interview of a subject matter expert or someone that you're doing an oral history on. Um, digital storytelling when, with uh, students is good with uh, problem solving and interpersonal skills development. And also uh, I ask my students to give feedback to the other students' projects at the end of the semester. So there's that assessment uh, component as well. And um, so all the things that we say that we're interested in students learning, digital literacy and global literacy and technology literacy and visual literacy and information literacy and all of these, uh, I think, Digital storytelling is a way to promote all of those 21st century skills. Uh, Bernard, uh, Bernard, I should also say, though, that yeah. yeah, Bernard, this is Kathy, and we've had a couple people who aren't familiar with digital storytelling asking if we could see some examples. Also, 
of, okay. of some of the digital All right. story tales. Um, okay. So what I'm going to do, thanks for, uh, feel free to interrupt me whenever because I you know, love to talk about this stuff and I'll just go on and on. So let's start by going, um, I'm going to click Tour Guide one more time just to show you where I'm going. I'm going to the Examples uh, menu option on the Digital Storytelling website and the menu is available from any page. And I'm going to scroll down to where it says Personal Reflection. Now Steve has told me that um, that everybody needs to click their own uh, web browser for this to happen, and you're not going to be able to follow mine along. So um, I'm going to I'm going to pick this first one on the personal reflection page called Almost Paradise, and we present our stories in uh, two different formats as a QuickTime file, and then also as an embedded flash movie, and we also allow people, visitors to our website to download the Flash video and then there's a link under each of the stories where they can download a free FLV or Flash video player if they need one. So I'm going to click on this embedded Flash link um, for Almost Paradise and ask people to do that as well and you'll get a flavor of this particular digital story talking of, uh, that was done by one of my students who was a student who came to the United States from South Korea and it was the story revolves around her relationship with her mother who brought the family over to the United States but really uh, wasn't so sure that she made the right decision. So click on Embedded Flash. That should bring up a page um, where, let's see, there, there's a, a player that will appear in the page with a right arrow in the middle that you can click on and that will actually play the video. And it is uh, narrated, so you will need to um, to have speakers or headphones in order to hear it. Um, no, I don't think I want everybody to watch for the whole six minutes, so you can come back and watch this. I'm going to go ahead and stop it right now, and you can do the same and come back and watch that a little later. But um, what I wanted to say about that was it showed you several of the things that I've been talking about. It had, um, in just that first part, there was text at the beginning, there were still images, there was music, uh, there was narration, there was an interview with the student's mother talking about um, why she left uh, um, South Korea and what she found when she got here. And then uh, it talks about this whole development uh, that this student of mine had um, trying to become assimilated into American culture but still trying and wanting to respect the um, values that her mother was trying to instill in her uh, about her Korean heritage. And she went back to Korea and she talked about doing that while she was in high school and uh, talked about discovering Korean food and Korean music and learning the Korean language. And, um, and yes, this program, uh, this digital story was created in Photo Story. And, um, 
anyway, it was it was one of the first digital stories that any of my students did as part of a course that I was teaching, and I was just knocked out by it. So I put it there as number one on the uh, on the list of digital stories. And you can um, the second one down coming to Houston is another interesting one. Uh, it's about one of my students um, who also came from Korea and. Um, she came right at five days. She came to Houston five days after her wedding, and uh, and then we had a tr tremendously large flood in Houston, and the city was submerged in several feet of under several feet of water, and that was kind of a rude awakening. And then there are stories on this page about uh, Hurricane Rita several years ago, and another student did a story about her mother uh, getting Alzheimer's disease, and then I don't know if we have any English teachers or English majors watching. Uh, or participating, but there's one called the Computer and I on this page, uh, but that's a takeoff of the King and I. And um, anyway, there are just a number of um, different uh, digital stories that can be uh, created on numerous content areas, and you can take a look at these examples at your leisure um, and and find find them on just a wide variety of, of topics and. Uh, so uh, let me stop talking for a second and look over at the chat window and see if there's anything else uh, that I can respond to. Yes, that's a good question. Is there a way to print out the chat? There are too many websites to keep track of and too many links. And yeah, the answer is uh, apparently that you can. So that's good. Um, one other thing, if we go back to the to the home page, um, click on Home. Um, you'll see that there's a video on the front page that is one that I put together um, about a year and a half ago now, in late 2008, I guess. And uh, it's a series of video clips that were downloaded from YouTube and other sites on the web. And if you want to take a moment to just watch the first few seconds of that, I'll click on it, and um, it's called an introduction to digital storytelling. But the whole thing was done with video clips, and I want to talk a little bit in a minute about how that was done. So we each need to click on that white arrow ourselves. Oh yeah, yes, please. It starts out with a, a clip of the time machine. Uh, an old science fiction movie from the 1960s, I believe. Well, I'm going to stop that and just talk a little bit about um, the idea, a couple of things. Um, the idea behind this was just to demonstrate that there's a world of video clips out, in, out there on the Internet that students are able to get to whether we like that or not. And if they're going to do that, it's my philosophy that they should try to put together interesting materials and projects with these video clips. So I tried to model that for my students with this example. So it shows clips from old TV shows and uh, movies and news broadcasts. And it's got a scene with Martin Luther King in it. And there's a, 
a piece about the shuttle disaster, and there's one about uh, the World Trade Center, a very brief part. And it basically is saying that um, that all kinds of things happen in the world, some good, some bad, and that they're out there on the web, and that you can put them together and write a script around them and tell a story uh, using these um, momentous uh, events in our history, and that um, it, it ends by asking the question, what's your story? So um, uh, people have, have written to me and asked me how I did this. This was actually created in Premiere, Adobe Premiere Elements, which is a fairly inexpensive program by video editing standards. It's about well, I think the uh, the list price has gone up. It used to be $99, and now it's about $129. But there still are um, are educational prices for software programs from Adobe, and so I think I've seen it recently for as little as $69. And it supports full motion video. And um, this one was basically just clips that were, as I said, downloaded and then. Um, not too much in the way of uh, special effects or transitions, just one fades out, the next one fades in, uh, and then the narration talks over these clips that are going on. And then when there's something interesting being said on the clip, then I stop talking and let kind of the video speak for itself. So I think that this is the direction that I'd like to see digital storytelling go in, uh, where we're doing more things with video and combining still images and video. And I wish that Microsoft would or somebody would create a program that has the simplicity of PhotoStory, but also some of the more powerful elements of uh, Premiere Elements. Um, and I see Steve saying that Costco sells Premiere Elements pretty cheaply. I, again, I think I've seen sometimes they bundle it with uh, with Photoshop Elements, which is also a nice uh, uh, digital image editing program. Uh, still image editing program, and the two come together, and you can get those for maybe $89 or something like that, and that's um, that's good. But I also see that um, somebody just wrote that they use Windows Movie Maker, and we use that as well because it is free, um, but it's not quite as powerful as Premiere Elements. It doesn't give you uh, as much sophisticated options, as many sophisticated options as Premiere Elements does, but it's certainly a great place to start and does allow you to do a lot of the things that, um, that I'm interested in. And free, I agree, is, is really good, and most of our students love software that's free. Bernard, um, um, Bernard this is Kathy wanna, again. Um, um, and we do have we have a group of okay. we have a group of faculty at Northern Michigan who've gotten together as a group to to listen in tonight, and they raised a very good question. Uh, when a class utilizes digital storytelling, but it isn't a digital storytelling course, how do you advise balancing learning new technology and creative techniques with the main learning objectives of the course? Well, that's a great question, and I saw that, and I was actually scrolling up when you uh, when you said that um, to to address that question because I think it's a really really important one. I have the luxury of teaching in our instructional technology program, and so my students sign up for my courses knowing that they're going to spend uh, a semester looking at technology and uh, various tools and resources and, and learn some technology skills. But I understand that there are many, many faculty members who are interested in perhaps digital storytelling but are teaching language or teaching science or whatever it happens to be. So the way I would um, do that is I would try to do a couple of things. I would see if there are any students in the course already 
who um, have uh, experience doing digital storytelling. It, it seems like every time I go into a presentation these days or a classroom, somebody has already done something with either Photo Story or Movie Maker or Premiere Elements or Voice Threads. I would try to get those people that have some experience to talk about, to share their expertise already. Um, I also am a big proponent, as I said, of small group work. So I like students to, to I think that students working together uh, mimics what they're going to find in the real world and that they're usually uh, a little bit more productive than when everybody tries to do something by themselves. It makes assessment a little bit more challenging, but I think the, it's worth it because the, the final product um, is better. Um, so you know, I would try to see if there are any students already in the class who have some expertise in digital storytelling that they can uh, help with. If that doesn't work, then maybe see if there's anybody who's at the school, um, in the college, or in the department, or wherever that you can um, invite to come as a guest speaker to your class and do a. I know that I do. I'm asked to do that all the time to go to somebody's class and do like a 30-minute or a 60-minute uh, introduction to digital storytelling. And depending on how much time I have, will determine how how much depth I go into, but um, it can be as simple as um, showing examples or it can be hands-on if we have laptops or can go to a computer lab. Um, a lot of students bring their laptops to class now. So, uh, and as I said, if they're using PCs, then they can download Photo Story for free. Um, and so there are lots of, uh, lots of possibilities for students to be able to try things out before they get to class. I think the idea is that, that educators um, need to be able to focus on being content experts, not technology experts, and utilize technology experts where they can find them. And so I think that, um, that, that engaging the help of, of other students is really a, a great way to get that done. And um, one of the things that we're working on for our website is uh, is kind of a virtual workshop so that people who aren't able to get me to come to their their city or their college or where their school, um, they can go and they can do a simulated workshop through materials that we're going to hopefully add to the web. And let me go back if I can to our website and and point you toward the essentials menu item. And if you scroll down to the last link under essentials. There's a link that says Digital Storytelling eBook, and this is a recent publication that I'm not sure if any of uh, people on uh, participating tonight have seen it. But this just came out from Microsoft, and I've been working with them for several months on helping uh, contribute some material to this. And there are, you can see that there's a, a PDF link to download the Digital Storytelling eBook, and there are some tabs along this page. There's one that says Templates. From teachers, and there's some materials that we have uh, contributed there, and there's a, a video that uh, one of my students uh, was videotaped and talking about how she uses digital storytelling in her K-12 classroom. So I think these are good resources to get you started. And honest to goodness, um, if you're a PC user and um, you can you feel comfortable downloading software. Then you honestly can can download and install Photo Story and start using it within 20 or 30 minutes. You can watch some of these online tutorials. Some of ours you can print out their PDF files. You can watch videos that describe the process. Just go to YouTube or 
or TeacherTube and enter in photo story and you'll find all kinds of step-by-step -step directions. It's a simple program to use and uh, I promise you that if you, even if you don't feel comfortable using it as an educator, um, your students will be able to, to do this. And I just did a, a workshop last week for undergraduate students at our Honors College and most of them had never used PhotoStory. Most of them had never heard of PhotoStory. And not, not only hadn't they used it, they didn't know what it was, but after just a few minutes of me demonstrating it, they were ready to go back and do digital stories. And I found out um, this was a follow-up to a similar presentation I did a year ago with a different uh, set of students from the same class. And the instructor told me that last year when I did this, um, probably a half a dozen of her students did, submitted digital stories at the end of the semester for their final project instead of doing the more traditional PowerPoint presentation or written report. So uh, I know that students are, or many of them are eager to, to be able to develop digital stories and submit them and be creative and demonstrate their, their learning and their uh, content mastery uh, in this manner. And I think it's, it's worked out really well for us and I would hope that it would work out really well for you because um, just the, um, the enthusiasm we see from, from people of all ages who get involved in digital storytelling has been dramatic and we're uh, conducting some research uh, to, to try to um, validate that. And, uh, but all of, all of the uh, experiences that I've had with it is that it's very powerful and very easy to do. And those two things together uh, just make for a really good educational resource. Hey, that's terrific, Bernard. I've just been fascinated again, and I actually saw you in San Jose uh, last summer as part of the conference and really enjoyed uh, hearing you again and actually having a recording that now can be uh, referenced that we can tell people to, to come and watch. So this is recorded. This, uh, the recording links will be up uh, tonight or tomorrow. I'll make sure that Kathy has them to put them on the uh, Merlot actual page, which I'll refer to as well. But there will be a full Illuminate playback there will be the recording of the chat, and then there will be an MP3 file for those who just need to listen to it. But Bernard, I'm going to use the clapping symbol here to clap for you and to tell you how much I appreciate what you've done, both in the <laughs> presentation and the actual content. And there was, a, there was a private message here. Someone said, amazing. He used the word amazing, and I would agree. You've done an amazing job. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And if you don't mind, I'd like to just uh, invite anyone who's uh, participating, if they want to um, contact me, my email address is brobin, brobin at uh.edu. Let me see if I can type that in here on the chat um, window. And, um, and I see you beat me to it. Okay, thank you, Deb. Um, uh, please feel free to contact me. I will, if I can't answer, uh, the uh, the email I will pass it on to my students and they will do it so that that's a, a win for us as well so um, I've certainly enjoyed participating and I look forward to uh, hearing from anybody who has an interest in digital storytelling and uh, and we have not yet added but we're contemplating adding a submit your story feature uh, to our website I've been uh, kind of busy just dealing with the stories that my students have created, but I'd be certainly happy to, uh, to take a look at other stories that you or your students have created and uh, give you feedback and possibly see if we can add them to our website for the future.
Terrific. Thanks, Bernard. Thanks so much, Kathy, for doing this. It's wonderful. I think it's really terrific that you're pulling this together uh, as part of the Merlot series. Uh, do do listen in for our future uh, events that start again tomorrow. Uh, and thanks for coming tonight. All right. Thank thanks, you, everybody. Bernard. And thank you, Bernard. Thanks, Kathy. This is great. We'll, we'll have it posted in Merlot somewhere. Okay. <laughs> okay, so our next event, terrific. Kathy. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Our next event, Kathy, is David Hill on March 25th, and then right, Jan. David Hill and Lila, yeah, Lila Roberts. Um, well, they'll be on the 29th, I believe. But we'll be sending information out about it prior to it. Terrific. Thank you for kicking it off, Bernard. You did a great job. Sounds like he just hung up, so we've lost Bernard. But thanks, everybody, and have a great night. Thanks, Steve.